talk about it a little little bit today uh (laughs) anthony demello probably my i don't know if it's my favorite book but this book awareness we're reading it next month for reading in the good life and uh (laughs) it's uh it's basically a recording of all of these talks that he gave for the these different retreats and stuff like that so it's it's um written a bit different than than most books but he's it's a lot of stories you know and he he tells this story um to illustrate the point that people already know things you know and it, it connects with what we were talking about of, of bringing up something to someone these little hey you know what well, maybe they're just not aware you know it's like you're gonna have these little conversations and he says uh uh, this story about talking to somebody that's at the bar. There's this guy that's sitting at the bar and he has a banana in his ear. And he's like, uh, excuse me, sir, you know, you, you have a banana in your ear. And the guy's like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like, goes through. It. And of course, he's like, speak up. I've got a banana in my ear. You know, I was just like making these jokes of like, people already know. It's even some of these things, uh, like in relationships, like my wife brings something to me of my perennial selfish nature. Like, I already know, you know, it's like when in terms of the darkness stuff and like your own. Yeah, I'm aware. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, uh, it's just not that easy to change some of those things and it's um i kind of had a note of uh you know i was brainstorming things that we could chat about today and maybe free will is is one um but like people are really kind of already aware of the oftentimes you know of the little little things like especially in some sort of relationship type of stuff I, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Yeah, probably a lot please. of it. And and again, I think this is this is where um, you and I just live different lives in some sense. You yeah. know, because you have a family, and so you, I think you've been confronted with with that pretty frequently, at least on the day to day stuff. You know, like what what your the things that you do that upset your wife, and she does that upsets you, and then the children, and it's this big complicated mess that you've been in the middle of for so long. For someone like me who's been you know, generally speaking, pretty single for the last like five years, focusing on the career and all that stuff. It's, uh, I, yeah, I, I notice a lot. Like I get, when I get feedback, it's not, oh, I knew about that. Like I know generally that I'm a prick, but like when you, when you talk about, Hey, you said this and that was a real a-hole thing to say, hmm. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, you're right. And then if I reflect on it and I think, yeah, I actually did mean to like I was purposefully being a dick. And then, you know, there's this weird ego thing happens where you convince yourself that you're a quote, quote, good person. And that, no, 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 I was just being, I was just, you know, trying to make you understand the point or whatever it is. And then you think back and like, no, actually, I was actually being a prick here. 
And uh, so, yeah, I think I think you're very, you know, if, if you if your if your wife tells you something and and you know it, I think that's like <laughs> that's good. But I don't think, at least for myself, I think that's something that you have to gain with experience. And for me, man, I still get woken the hell up all the time on on stuff I say and do that that's just not not good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't mean that. 100% completely like that there's things that others can't share with us that we're maybe blind to, but also, um, I'm not necessarily too surprised of, of me being a prick in some way. It's not, <laughs> not a, not necessarily like a shocker, um, to me or, you know, in the way of, um, prick, I mean, just like inconsiderate, like selfish, not necessarily, um, you know, seeing a complete picture of something or aware of how something could, could be perceived. Um, cause sometimes yeah. you say something and you, you're coming at it from this particular perspective and then like another person receives it and they're looking at it from a 45 degree angle and then take it from a different perspective which makes complete sense but you weren't necessarily thinking of that when you delivered it you know yeah and i think we also convince ourselves sometimes when we say things that that it's quote quote for the the greater good or for the betterment of the relationship and then if you dig a little bit deeper, you, you find out that no, there's actually a malicious intent in there. And let me tell you something that that's hard to face. Mm. That's, you know, and I, I always get worried because you and I talk a lot about this and these guys are probably just thinking, man, these guys are complete assholes, right? Like they're talking about all these malicious intent that they notice in themselves. But let me tell you, if there's one thing you don't want to know about yourself, it's the fact that you have malicious intent in you and that you've said things in the past. And it wasn't out of you know, logical explanation or, or debate or f- f- uh, trying to achieve truth between you guys. No, no, no. Like you were, you were emotional and upset about something and you said something to that person to intentionally hurt them. That's, that's the, har- you, you talk about shadow, man. That's the shadow. And it, is that out of nowhere? Is that like a, you know, first, first shot? Or do you think that's a response typically to, you know, like we were just talking about sometimes the way something is perceived and then there's sometimes this like initial reaction that might have a, you know, harshness to it. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's all a response. But again, you, you have to challenge your perceptions of the situation. So you, you say something to me, Josh, and I say and I, I feel like you meant harm there, which is a bad assumption, but we assume it all the time. Well, my instinct is, is to harm you back. You know, my ego's hurt. I, I feel, I feel uh, threatened, and and that's how I respond. And <laughs> yeah. absolutely does not justify it at all. And that's why you know the Stoics preach so much about just minding your intentions about things and and these these opinions that you that you place on things. You know, like your your wife tells you, "Hey, that hat is is ugly, man. I don't like that hat." <laughs> It's like how do you how do you take that? It's like okay, I like this hat, <laughs> and I just spent forty dollars on it, and it was fifty percent off. <laughs> yeah, that's like shoes for me. My wife will say that. Like I'll get some sort of weird, like weird, <laughs> weird shoes or something like that. She'll say some stuff like that. It's awesome. 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's one of those things where, you know, things like that, it's like, um, it's a preference thing, right? You and I spoke a lot about that and preferences and how there's not really, uh, a, a right or wrong answer there, but it's, it's a weird thing when you're dealing with like your romantic partner, right? Cause you think, well, obviously I want you to be attracted to me and I want to feel <laughs> attractive. And you've just told me that <laughs> when I feel like I'm attractive, I'm actually very unattractive. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the weird thing is, uh, um, to me is some of these experiences or some of these words, unless it's with someone that is really working this like art of letting go type of stuff or forgiveness type of stuff, it can really be a, a deal, a deal breaker. Um, as you were talking there, it reminds me, you know, I'm a, a married at first sight fan and it's like, a they they just did the uh, finale thing in like normal like one out of five or something like that or you know a real small percentage of people end up staying together but there'll be one little comment of uh <laughs> that can it's like ooh yeah that might be that might be a deal breaker you know it's like one little comment can just be the thing that like gets gets in there and maybe it's a bit more than i don't like that hat but it's like you know like one of the guys like if a guy is bald like oh i wasn't expecting somebody bald it's like uh, it's like that plants a little seed and can just fester but the same thing in all of our relationships like roommates at work one little thing which I like the visual that you've said in a previous conversation that stuck with me around forgiveness in the way of um, like, it's like coffee grounds or something on the, on the counter and some sort of way that, that work, that practice, the maturity of like cleaning it up before it gets too bad. And I think some of that cleaning up stuff is really and I, I think that's we, we differ maybe some sometimes on this is an individual project like that cleaning up of uh, of stuff. Oftentimes it, it has, in my experience, more to do with me than necessarily. It doesn't mean that we can't have a conversation about it, but some of that work, which can be, you know, deep work, long whatever it may be, uh, maybe easier if you do it daily, like anything else, the more consistently you do it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. The, the, you know, the note about someone says something and you just start hating them because of that one thing. It's almost like it's, it's because it's linked to their character or it's a reflection of their character. And I think, and I'll, I'll explain that with an example, but, um, well, actually, I'll, I'll give you an example right now. So, if you were out for uh, out to supper with, uh, I don't know, with, on a first date or something like that, and then the other person is just unnecessarily rude to the server, like for me personally, that's that's a deal breaker because there's 
that's a reflection of your character and that you feel entitled to, uh, you know, push someone down that's at a lower socioeconomic status than you. And maybe they're not, maybe they're at the same socioeconomic status, but in this current situation, you hold the power and you're using that in a, in a malicious way. For me, that's like, I, I don't really, it's too much for me to work on with, with someone. But at the same time, I think you also have to realize that that's a reflection of their character and character is not something that's fixed. Character is something that you develop over time. And so it's a weird thing, right? Because you don't want, like, if you have a relatively good character, you don't want someone, you don't want to spend a lot of time with people that are complete pieces of shit, right? Like that are just really full of vice and, and are rude and arrogant and all this stuff because you don't want them to, to influence you in that way. So, and you also don't want someone that's way too much, like they're like perfect and in, in, or as close as you can get to perfect in terms of character in some sense as well, because you, you'd feel intimidated and you'd always feel like they're kind of dragging you, you know, through life. And they're like your mentor. They're more of a teacher than they are a friend. And so what you want, what we, I think what we really search for in other people is someone that's just as effed up as we are. And part of that, the key to that is recognizing again, just how effed up you are as an individual, because then, you know, because you're going to see things like, quote, quote, confessions of character, right? And you're going to say, okay, this person, there's something not right here in this person's value system, or the the actions are not lining up with the intentions. And I'm going to help you through that, but only if you're going to help me through my stuff as well. And then, but, but for me to accept yours, I have to accept mine. Like you have to have this real grounded humility about just how effed up you are as an individual. And then that way you don't, that way you, I, I suppose you select the people around you that, that, that are going to help you best on that journey from a hole to <laughs> slightly less of an a hole, which is the progress I've made in like 30 years. Uh, I love it. I wonder if there's something like sometimes I think about the uh, like one person, you know, like, uh, did I bring up that show Beef? Yeah, I started watching it, man. I think I got an hour. I think I'm halfway through it. I think it's three episodes or something or four episodes. I think I saw two episodes. (laughs) But if like if one person and this like applies to the relationship type of thing, if one person can be maybe flexible, forgiving, or whatever it may may be, you know, whatever word that you would want to call it there. In a way, like most of the time, some of the stuff can end. Like I think about in that show, if just one of them, and it was it got complicated, but if just one of them was able to be like, ah, just let it go, ah, not worth whatever it may be. Um, and it seems like so much, and, and I'm, I'm saying that in reference that you were saying like the person with, uh, um, you know, very high character and things like that. And I, I get what you're saying there, but I wonder if, um, in the way of like just flexibility, you know, cause we're on different, it seems like dials in reference to that, you know, some people are just a bit more particular than others but you get two people that are very particular and very set in their ways and stuff if you will it's a rough it's a rough go at it you know it's like um 
you know, knocking, knocking heads over little tiny type of stuff where it's just like, it's okay if one, but then the other, you know, has to, in a way, kind of be flexible, which is a, which is a strange, strange thing, I think. Yeah. And I think it's linked to the personality trait of agreeableness. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like you need, I think you need, uh, you need that balance in a relationship between agreeableness and disagreeableness. And, but here's an interesting thing too, is like, so you mentioned having two people that are say disagreeable, very particular about how everything is done. And then if you have the opposite of that, which is two people that are just overly flexible, then you have people like hippies, right? Like a, a hippie couple that are kind of touring the country and they don't have stable, stable jobs. And I'm not saying all people don't have stable jobs that are agreeable. That's not what I'm saying, but, but they tend to be a bit more go with the flow in life and you have less rig, uh, rigidity, which is a downside as well, because the downside of being agreeable is that you end up being a bit of a pushover, right? And that's not so helpful in all state in, in, everywhere in life. I mean, there's, there's, there's benefits to agreeableness and there's benefits to disagreeableness. But if you can balance that between the relationship and, and, and like you mentioned, it's not, it practically has to be because if, if not, you're going to be fighting all the time. But I think as a team, you become, you become better. You become more well-rounded, you know, which is, which is the idea of like, like it's hard for all of us to be masculine and feminine completely to have all those characteristics. Yeah. But if you team up with someone, maybe you can be far more complete, as a package than you can individually. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Maybe we could take a, a bit of time and chat about what we've been reading and watching. It's been a little bit since we've connected. I think it's been a few weeks or so, or a couple of weeks at least. Um, but what have you been up to? Uh, I would say I've had, I've had two pretty good bro sessions in the last two, three days, which is kind of rare for me. Nice. I, I have bro sessions, but not normally as frequently. Yeah, what, as what is that exactly before I say nice? Well, I had, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anarchy, man. No, we, uh, well, Thursday night I had a friend come over. Uh, he was in town. And we just, honestly, like, I never, I don't play games, like, at all anymore. But we, we opened up PlayStation and just played, like, for, like, three or four hours, just played the shooter game and had a few drinks and, and, and laughed and nerded out it was a star wars shooter game um so that was kind of fun like i don't i don't do that stuff a whole lot but it's kind of nice to have a little bro session and then last night i went out with a with another friend for a couple drinks and and had a good chat about stuff and uh yeah i think there's i don't know i haven't i haven't been watching a whole lot because i started watching beef but um but yeah i think i don't know i think it's important that that friendship aspect to get out and be social and i don't know how how do you balance that with wife and and kids man like i know you and i talk quite a bit though yeah. uh, though admittedly not a lot in the, in the past few weeks <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it is a difficult thing i think especially once you throw kids in the in the mix um especially depending on the age i mean it's, it's just yeah. uh it's a difficult thing especially even some of that adult stuff like we do the occasional uh you know date night type of stuff but even like getting some sort of like babysitter type of thing and and doing that and sometimes it's like an extra extra little (laughs) little thing that you know leads leads to it not being done so a lot of the stuff we do is uh ultra 
ultra kids focused like amusement parks and playgrounds and <laughs> all of that type of stuff. But it's a lot of fun. My kids are at the age, uh, you know, four and ten where they're just hilarious. You know, <laughs> just I like, didn't realize your daughter was that old. She's ten. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So just like funny, goofy. I mean, I, I think like lots of lots of wisdom in in kids. So much we can learn from from kids of just uh, being playful. You know, mm. it's like like you were saying in terms of these last couple of nights in uh, like finding that balance. Life in a way is not that serious, or it doesn't need to be as serious as we make it. Sometimes I think about um, some of these, like probably ultra um, difficult jobs, like the president of the United States or something like that, where it's probably like 18 hours of their day is almost mapped out. What a tough thing. You know, it's a real commitment in terms of. Uh, service in a way uh, like doing some of that stuff and i'm sure different like ceos and ran random stuff there's lots of lots of stuff and even at the um you know people that might have three jobs really struggling to to make it you know a lack of free time it's tough it is it is and i think that's the benefit again to circle back to the the whole partner thing and and like have having people in your life that are tied with you on your journey, I think that's that's the benefit for people that tend to be a bit too uh, work focused, because you'll have people um, that'll kind of drag you and say, "Listen, man, we haven't been out in a while. Let's let's grab a beer, or you know, uh, hey, honey, you haven't taken me on a date in 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 a month or something like that, right?" And so, yeah, it's it's interesting because you can go really far. This is what I've been thinking about. You can go really far by yourself, right? But the question is, like, is that the best for you overall? I don't know. Maybe it is. Depends on the person. But, yeah, but left to your own devices, you will gravitate towards your strengths. But the consequences of not addressing your weaknesses will become ever more present. It's like, how long can you can you push that off in life, you know, before it, it just, it, it becomes too much. Um, I don't know if that's making any sense at all. <laughs> well, how much do you think about from a psychological well-being standpoint, you know, some of the research talks about uh, being rigid as um, basically tied with all sorts of negative stuff in the way of anxiety, depression, all of that. And, um, and, and maybe this is a bit different than the personality type of agreeableness. Cause you think of, uh, like psychological flexibility, maybe it's connected more with, with wisdom and a lot of the Stoics and different, um, you know, traditions are talking about that. But I, sometimes I wonder of, um, just engaging in the world whether it's like working on a team, being in a relationship, all of that type of stuff is really opportunities to continue to cultivate some sort of psychological flexibility. Um, I don't know. Like, do you ever think about that much of from a, I don't. I want to say maybe self improvement thing, but I, I don't necessarily 
Yeah. But you know what I mean? Do you ever think about that from a, an improvement standpoint of becoming more flexible? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think you're rigid about the things that are up to you and not everyone is, but, but certainly you, you, you can be, and, and perhaps you even should be, but then you have to have a lot of flexibility in everything else that's not up to you. And I think that's, that's what you're talking about there. You talk about things like people being too rigid and that leads to, you know, too much anxiety and stress and that sort of thing. And I think what that really is in practice is people just unable to come to ter- come to terms with the things that are not up to them, the things that are just outside of their control. You know, so you're in a team. Okay, well, you only really have control over what, what you're contributing to that. And you can communicate what you need from the other team members and you can do your best to communicate that and you can get your work done. At the end of the day, man, you're, you, there's people on that team that you have absolutely no ultimate control over. And when you talk about things like rigidity, it's like, okay, I need this information in this particular way. That that's not up to you. What's up to you is how you receive the is what is what you do with the information once you get it. Just as a as a very simple example. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I think that's yeah. I, I've never linked that, but I think that's maybe where the link is between that and stoicism. It's just rigid rigidity and acceptance of what's not up to you. Yeah, because I, I think about from the leadership thing of you leading a team, you know, it's like once you become part of a team, and especially like if you're in some sort of role as the leader of that team, it gets really complicated in a way of um, like that opening passage of the Enchiridion. It's... um. I guess maybe it doesn't get complicated, but it gets seems to to get difficult in a way because essentially you're tasked and you know compensated to essentially try to lead and try to influence and and all of that things that are ultimately out of out of your control. Like any thoughts come up of how you. How you do that? And I've I've been curious to ask you. Yeah, I mean, it's the hard part about leadership is you have to take ownership of everyone on your team. And everyone on your team is ultimately their own individual who is not up to you. So like a a leader says, and I I really try and practice this myself as a leader, is that you, you say to yourself all the time, Whatever the hell happens, it's my fault. Everything. Everything is my fault. If if one of my guys doesn't do their job properly, if they make a mistake, if they fail, if they don't show up on time, whatever it is, it's my fault. And that's a very tricky and tangly thing because it's it's not, right? The Stoics would say it's not. But the problem with it's not is that if you want to be a leader that's that that people want to follow you have to be that person and it's also it's actually better for you to accept that than it is to 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 not it's easier you become a better leader by saying it was my fault that this particular person just hasn't had the training that he needs or doesn't have the skills they need to do their job properly that's my fault versus this guy he's just a bad employee 
And the problem with that is that that's not always true. So what you end up having is, let's say, the management that's over my head, when they look down and they're looking at me and and my team has failed at something, like I have I have to own that, man. It, it is my fault. And I have to really believe that. I can't just say that. And so that's that's why it's so hard to be a leader because your instinct is, well, no, the reason why I as a leader am unsuccessful is because of one of my team members, one of my employees. That's the instinct. And the instinct is to point the finger. Problem with that is as soon as you point the finger, no one's going to want to follow you. The people above your head aren't going to really respect you anymore. And, uh, and you're a bad leader, just like most of the other bad leaders out there. Yeah. And why not? Like, I really appreciate that, that approach. And I wonder from a relationship thing, like, why not take that same, that same mindset or that same approach in a way of, um, Yeah, how do I want to? Not exactly sure in terms of um, like how that how that applies, but it seems like like a similar mindset in a relationship would be extremely helpful in a way of just um, like if there's something that didn't go well or some sort of thing of just, uh, you know, an extreme accountability type of thing, you know, um, in the relationship. But oftentimes we don't, we don't do that. Even if it's like, and I mean, that connects a little, little bit with me of, uh, from a leadership thing of, of maybe it's easier to adopt that particular mindset in that approach. But then in a relationship thing, you know, I can think of times where I, didn't adopt that approach and maybe it would have been more more beneficial to just just own things and you just move move on in a way you know or or be more open to to owning things i mean i think it's a in general it's a good rule of thumb to own everything that goes wrong uh, and I think that's it's very intricate why that's the case. But it, the difference, there is a slight difference with, let's say, a significant other in that there's no the, – the idea is that there's no power gap. The idea is that you're you're equally contributing to to this endeavor. Like that, that's what makes – like psychologically there is there – is, we do think about people differently if they're – higher than us on the hierarchy and lower than us on the hierarchy. And so as in a relationship, you tend to be more 50-50. Now there, there does, and I'm going to probably get slashed for this, but there, there does tend to be a leader in, in relationships. Like there tends to be one person that tends to be a bit more, you know, a, a, a driving force in that relationship towards things like the decision maker. And it's kind of like, like you and your wife get in a car one of you is driving and the other one's giving directions and the other one's influencing where you go. But ultimately only one of you has the hands on the wheel. And so that, that tends to be the case in relationships too. So there might be like a slight power 
dynamic there, but it's it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a little different there in that you know we expect a lot of times our close friends and our partners to be equally contributing to this endeavor, and if we feel like they are not, then we just we're not happy with that. Whereas as a leader, if an employee is not contributing. I'll say, well, of course he's not contributing as much. He's 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 much further down on the hierarchy, and he he's getting paid a lot less. And and if I look up the hierarchy and I see my my boss working extra long hours, I say, well, of course he's working extra long hours. He has a higher management position, and he has bigger incentives, and and so on. It makes sense, but it doesn't make as much sense in a relationship, I think. Yeah, but I, I would bet from a leadership thing, like if you have an employee, like that thing of of um taking responsibility like say you have someone that's really critical has a critical a part on the team which is essentially everyone is but there might be someone at a particular time that is is more critical than than others as people as like projects move and stuff like that and this person is not just not not bringing it you know i mean just not in it for whatever reason you might own it and say like, wow, for like for some reason I haven't communicated or this person doesn't quite recognize like their critical role right here. You know, it's like there, there, there's something missing and you can own that. They don't maybe they don't feel appreciated, respected, you know, like who who really knows. But you could get curious and ask the question, you know, to yourself and to this person. But it seems like when it comes to other relationships, like a roommate or a peer-to-peer and uh, um, all that type of stuff, it can be more challenging to do that, to just say like, oh, wow, like this person is not, aware of you know their actions or 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 in in some way i haven't communicated how important this person is to me um i don't know it just seems like that that move uh and i'm I'm speaking from my own experience and stuff like that as well of like personally you know the first move isn't always like oh wow like you know, it's not, it's not like connected with curiosity and like ownership and stuff like that. You know, at least it hasn't been for me, but it seems like it should be, you know, that is like a, um, you know, the more considerate move, move there. Yeah. And I think this stems back to, <clears throat> like you mentioned wisdom because picture, the employee that's not doing so well and the leader and he explains just how critical his role is here. Now what he's trying to embed there is wisdom. The idea is you have to understand just how valuable you are to this operation. But it's even deeper than that because really what you're saying is you have to understand that if you spend eight hours a day at a job that you are deeply engaged with, everything else in your life is going to be better. You're going to have a more meaningful life. There's there's an insane amount of benefit in you doing well at your job for the team, for the company, but also for you as an individual. 
And it's not always the case that people have that, that wisdom. So if you were to ask most people, Hey, do you think it's, do you think you should work hard at your job? Yeah. Everyone says yes. And that's like one level of wisdom. But then there's other levels of wisdom that's like, no, no, no. If I work really hard at my job, I might not see the benefits of that for five years uh, from, from a, let's say a promotion standpoint, but I get to go to home and I feel more meaning when I get home from work. I feel more fulfilled in my life. I make better connections at work and, and, and better friendships with my coworkers. And the list just goes on and on and on and on. So even though they know, yeah, yeah, of course you should work hard. They're not, they don't have the full, let's say wise picture there to really understand just how important it is to, to, to try your best at work. And I think the same can be said about a relationship. You say, and this is where the disconnect comes between partners because sometimes one person really believes that and they understand. Listen, if we, if we work at this for 20 years, we could have an amazing relationship. And the other person is thinking, well, if we break up in a week, I can have someone new in two weeks. <laughs> right? Like there's just, there's completely different ideas of what is the, yeah. the, the wise response there. Yeah. Yeah, no. The uh, it, it reminds me. I made a note here on this card of kind of. I wanted to talk with you about. I think like this this very thing a little bit of. Um, I, don't, I don't exactly know what you call it, but I listened to earlier this week uh, an episode of the Art of Manliness, and it was on the the anatomy of a breakthrough some guy that wrote a recent book on that. And it is a, like a fascinating thing of this thing of like, you're talking about knowing, you know, like, you know, something, but then doing it, you know, like what, what clicks in terms of some sort of like putting it into action or embodying something like, I think the quiet, the question is like, you know, do you want to do a good job here? Everyone's like, yeah, absolutely. But then there's something for some people that like it clicks somewhere. There's some sort of breakthrough, some sort of uh, change. And it's like that shows up in, um, in their actions, which is a, it's a crazy thing. Yeah. It's because they've, made that connection they've gained that wisdom so when you talk about the difference between knowing it and doing it i think i think that's false in some sense because i think as we've spoken about in the past there's levels to knowing like there's levels to this stuff so there is yeah yeah of course everyone you gotta you gotta do well at your job of course but then there's you know, the, the most wise response where they're making all the connections where it's not, yeah, okay, you just do a good job at work so that you can keep your job and keep getting in money. It's like, no, no, so I can be more fulfilled so that I can have a good career in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, so I can have a good retirement package. Like all these connections on why you should work hard. That's where the wisdom comes in. And this is why wisdom is so much tied in with with virtue. Because for you to be a virtuous person, you have to have so much wisdom. You have to know exactly why 
letting your fear dictate your actions is is not going to give you happiness in life. You have to really know that because you can know it and you can kind of know it and you can really know it and then you can really, really, really know it. And so I, I think that's the gap there is people making those connections. And how do you do that? One thing is like lived experiences, right? I think you, you know, you just got to go into the world and try shit and then get into quiet desperation sometimes and crawl your way out of it. And it's cyclical, right? Yeah. The Anthony DeMello guy that I was talking about earlier, he uh, calls it like awareness in a way. He tells a story of a buddy of his who, you know, smokes his whole life and then like goes to the doctor and the doctor's like, Hey, I'm, I'm seeing something here on your, on your lung that I'm concerned about. And, you know, instantly after hearing that from the doctor, stop smoking, you know, and you can maybe apply that to other habits and stuff like that. And he, like, he calls that like knowing to awareness. Like he knows that, you know, cigarettes are not good for you. Like we all know that. And then there's like a heightened level of awareness um, that in in a way like that applies to you as well, (laughs) you know, but there is this thing of where someone can see something like from someone else, like you see a particular you know, someone trips and falls over something, you know, to put it simply. And then it's like, Oh, I'm not going to, not going to do that. Like, that's a strange thing to me of where some people can like actually gain some wisdom from seeing someone else, you know, do something well, or, you know, some sort of epic fail. It's, um, sorry. It's the hardest thing to do, man learn from other people's mistakes and lived experiences. It's almost impossible, and that's almost disheartening. But then when you think about that, that's actually kind of a beautiful thing because what it means is that whether you're born in the year 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 or 10 million, you're going to have your own damn journey in life. And no matter what you and I do today, no matter how far you and I get on the self-improvement journey, no matter how virtuous we are by the time we're 70 or 80 years old, our children's 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 children are still going to have to go through that journey. And then you think about, well, what's the purpose of life? Well, if you listen to Solzhenitsyn, he would say it's the development of the soul. So even though it's kind of a bad thing, it's, it's, also, it's also really what makes life worthwhile. It's the fact that some things nobody can do for you. Most things nobody can really do for you. I would say the things that really matter, nobody can do for you. And that's that's both depressing, but it's also very, it's beautiful. I think it's very uh, uh, encouraging as well. Yeah. The um, I started doing these um, new uh, episodes, and it's based on uh, I don't know if I've told you about it, but there's a podcast, Wisdom of the Masters. Really, really like it. and it's it's done by this Buddhist nun, I think in Australia or New Zealand. And it's done in the style of like Lectio Divina, which I'm, I'm not super, super familiar with. But it's basically like this uh, 
slow, kind of like meditative reading. Um, but I, I, I made a note of it, and I, I wanted to to read it because I think it connects with this in a, in a way of. Um, so it, it's a traditional monastic practice of spiritual reading, uh, meditation, or prayer, and it has four separate steps. It's like read, meditate, pray, contemplate. And you think of uh, like short little passage. I mean, it could it could be a quote. It could be you know a particular paragraph. You think of Scholzenitsyn. Uh, you know, so, uh, take a particular you know passage of that. The amount of time that you could spend, like reading that in a way to get in your soul a bit. You know, it's like reading, like thinking about, I mean, um, you know, in the way of meditating, like, like you can put yourself in his shoes in some of those things. Like from a creative standpoint, it does seem like we can experience, like we can try to experience what it might be like for like a Viktor Frankl or, you know, these other figures, maybe it's not exactly the same, obviously. Um, but some sort of taste of that. And then, but, but I wonder from, um, like a philosophical standpoint, you know, that the same thing probably applies of, uh, like a philosophical type of reading of, of some of these things. I don't know. It's like an interesting thing of, of um, like reading, like in a way it is, it is something I think that maybe we can get some sort of lesson, you know, like gain wisdom on a particular thing that we didn't have, like, you know, being more intentional about it, using a specific type of practice like like this. But anyway, long story short, I ended up, um, I've been doing a few episodes that are like short, you know, on this, very, very much similar to um, this Buddhist nun on wisdom of the masters. But I've really got a lot out of it myself. I mean, just uh, kind of going through it and, you know, thinking a bit more deeply about some of these, um, topics. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, man. Sorry. I'm listening. I, I had it on mute cause I wanted to look up a quote. <laughs> no worries. Um, cause I know you'll like this. This is a quote from George R. R. Martin. He, he wrote the, uh, game of Thrones series. That's a song, oh, yeah? nice and fire. So he said this, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And I think you're right. I think reading, that's the huge benefit of reading, particularly fiction and, and, and nonfiction. If you think about things like biographies and that sort of stuff, but you know, I mean, you can read, you know, you can read a paper on, on, you know, cell life or something like that in biology and, you're not really living another life there, <laughs> but, yeah, but, but yeah. you think about reading like a fictional story or, uh, 
<clears throat> or, uh, or like a nonfiction, like a real something that actually happened. Yeah, like absolutely. I think that's the benefit of it. And I think that's why we tell stories. We tell yeah. stories so that you don't have to go through everything that there is to ever go through in life for you to learn. You know, that's why we, that's why kids are so absorbed into Disney movies and, and these really these copy and paste hero stories that are just all the same, but told in different ways. There's only yeah. really one story, man. It's like the story versus good and evil. It's the story versus vice and virtue. It's like, that's yeah. the only story there is. And there's, and there's an infinite number of ways to tell that. So, um, yeah. The, uh, the reading of some of this stuff, it's, it's, uh, on this wisdom of the masters, it's like selected, you know, readings from some of like the greatest minds and stuff like that. But the, the pace of it is like uber slow and it's to kind of like the, um, ambient background music, but there might be a particular, you know, sentence that's read and a, a 10 second pause before the next um, and I, I listened to it quite a bit on, uh, like walking around the neighborhood, kind of like a walking meditation a little bit, but it's, a it is a strange thing. I, I've, I've seen that, uh, Martin quote, uh, I love that. And there's many other similar, similar things, but it also, it reminds me of, uh, like the free will thing, which, uh, Last month on the for the book club thing, we read Spinoza and kind of got into a little bit of free will. But it's like that's a fascinating thing. Also, you think about uh, psychedelics and stuff like that, which I'm not necessarily uh, I've, I've, I've never used psychedelics myself. I don't think I ever will. But it's an interesting thing of um, some of the research around maybe people that have PTSD or people that, you know, are dealing with some sort of like drug addiction and something like that of how like a particular experience, you know, leading to like a breakthrough or you might say like a new way of seeing something. But it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing. Like, how do you think about a free will? I, I want to say, if I remember right, maybe you've done an episode or something like that in the past on, on free will. Is that right I've, or no? I think I've spoken about it in the past. Yeah, it's a weird – free will is a weird concept. Uh, for anyone that's really interested in the cutting-edge science on this, maybe have a listen to uh, Sam Harris. But, um, yeah, I think the stoic idea is that it's – it's kind of both like you have free will, but there's also, there's also this idea of, of fate. And there's also this idea of, it's like, you don't have complete free will. It's very complicated. You know, there's a scene at the, I don't know if I brought this up to you before I, I brought it up in the past, but Forrest Gump portrays this really well. Have we spoken about this? And no, I don't think so. Okay, this is really interesting to me anyway. So Forrest Gump is a is a story, and he has two voices, two mentors throughout the whole story, or most of it. He has his mother, and his mother is very much, listen, life's a, life's a box, of, box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You're just floating around like a leaf in a breeze, and you stumble upon this, and you stumble upon that. 
And that's just life, man. Like you never know what you're going to get. You just, you just float around. And then you have Lieutenant Dan who told him, no, 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 I have a fate. There is a fate here. There is a destiny. I'm supposed to go to Vietnam and die on the battlefield, just like my ancestors before me. This, this is, everything is rigid. Everything is preordained. This is exactly what life is. And of course, Forrest Gump, he saved Lieutenant Dan from dying. And Lieutenant Dan hated him for that for years because he felt like he robbed him of his destiny. And then later he found out that actually you, you do have some choice in how you live this life and you do have some choice on your in your on your direction of life and so at the end of the uh movie Forrest Gump he's he's at the grave of his wife and and he says he says I don't know if if my mom is right if we're just floating around and I don't know if lieutenant Dan is right and that we all have this destiny but he said maybe it's a little bit of both and, you know, I remember watching that scene in, uh, as a kid. I don't know how many times I've seen that movie. And it almost just seems kind of like a cop-out. It's like, oh, that's kind of dumb, right? But, but then when you really think about it, you know, this, this is the Paradoxically Speaking podcast. Yeah. Like, like what a paradox. It's like life, yeah, there's, there's kind of a destiny here. There's kind of a fate for you. But then there's also free will and there's also a choice. It's like maybe you can also – maybe there is this path. Maybe there is this – this fate that's happening. And at the same time, maybe you're also just floating around, bumping into things. Maybe you are, maybe everything is just completely random. Maybe life is actually a box of chocolates. And, uh, yeah, I think if you, if you go back and watch that movie, which is a, it's a great movie. Those themes are just throughout that whole movie, man. Fate versus free will. Yeah. That, that approach, like, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a, both that is seems to be such a difficult thing for us to grasp and maybe like you said i've never thought about it like that maybe it's a bit of a cop-out <laughs> you know it's like even the like the experts that sit around and you know do this type of research which there's ton tons of them you know philosophers and psychologists and stuff like that it's like they fall on one side or the other, typically, you know. Um, and uh, it's like even even Sam Harris, you know, who I, I listen to a fair fair amount. I'm 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 a fan of his uh, waking up app and stuff like that. He doesn't necessarily so much talk about um, like maybe there's a little bit of both thing. Like he doesn't necessarily because it's like. On one hand, he's saying this, and then on the other hand, he's like deeply committed to mindfulness and meditation and like, you know, the search for wisdom and, you know, doing all of these things. So it it seems like just this total, you know, one side or the other, like, how do you make sense of that? But um, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. Another podcast I listened to recently was uh the psychology podcast um ken sheldon was on there and he just wrote a book uh, freely determined which focuses on this this topic and stuff but um but it's it's fascinating of uh you know like the thing of uh if you if you look it up 
it's it's sometimes described in maybe like three different things there's this like libertarian free will of where we just have like you know complete free will then there's the hardcore like determinists and then maybe somewhere in the middle and maybe people wouldn't describe it as the middle but compatibilists where it's um somewhat of a middle way at least like how i interpret it a little bit but this guy spinoza talks about how it's like core views and beliefs you know it's you have this particular core view and belief that is essentially like as i think about it maybe it's like influencing your impression that you get you think of um you and i you know in like Hitler or Mother Teresa, Timothy things like they're getting that impression, but that impression is a different thing, you know, based on different people. And like that impression is not, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel like it's within my control. I mean, it's necessarily coming, but, and maybe as you, um, you know, shape your core views and beliefs, more closely to mother Teresa, you know, your impressions are, you know, more towards compassion, forgiveness and, and love and, and things like that. But it makes me think to bring it back to this Lectio Divina type of stuff or some sort of thing. It seems like rewiring a bit or reshaping our like deeper core views and beliefs is no small thing. You know, it's like, yeah, maybe you're not just reading a book cover to cover. Maybe it's like some sort of like spiritual or philosophical practice around that um, is a a better better approach, you know? Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to change behaviors and and behaviors are manifestations of intentions, right? Like how 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 you're how you're thinking and your opinion on things. Uh, yeah. And I think it just gets down to habit, right? And this, this is why, like, I tend to get really practical with things. I know you do as well, but for me, it, it, it really does get down to just ingraining habits in terms of, you know, you get that impression. It's like you can get into the habit of turning that impression around using a particular perspective. You can develop that habit. It's just a habit. And how do you get better at a habit? You do it over and over and over and over again as many times as you can in a row until you ultimately fail, inevitably fail, and then you start it over again and you try and do it as many times over and over and over and over again until you inevitably fail yet again, hopefully a little bit longer this time, and it's just that for the rest of your goddamn life. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's that's how you turn that stuff around. And, and the key part there that I mentioned is the failing because that's that's part of the process you know you it's like how do you how do you become more virtuous you develop habits how do you do that you practice habits practicing by definition means that you're you don't have it yet you don't have it it's not there yet it's it's in it's ingrained i mean dude there's things that i fall off the bandwagon sometimes habits that i have ingrained for man maybe even months maybe even like a year dude i was I was like a, a really big flosser at one point in my life. And then there, like for a couple of months, I just completely fell off the bandwagon just like that. Just stopped flossing, started pushing it off. And then eventually I was like, damn, I got to get back. Like, that's important. I should probably do that again. 
But, uh, yeah, it's like, it's so weird how you can, you can lose it too. You can lose it just as well as you can gain it. And so you have, again, you have to be really careful and, and attentive about what you're doing on a daily basis, because that is what forms your habits. It's what you do every single day. Yeah. The, um, you know how the Stoics talk about um, thoughts, like, you know, it's all about your thinking and stuff like that. Your thoughts, like, color the soul of your, um, dye the color of your soul type of stuff. And I, I think we've we've probably spoke about it before in, in the way of, like, thoughts are not within our control. You know, often they, they just come. But some of the research around like even in CBT of these uh, like deep core views and beliefs like shape our thoughts, you know? So it's like, like peeling the onion back far enough in the way like shapes your thoughts that even, even come in. And like the Buddha talks about um, these like five steps, you know, around thoughts, like you get an unwholesome thought, you notice it and you replace it with a wholesome thought. And that's like connects to what you're talking about in terms of a habit. It's like, well, no, thank you. Replace wholesome thought. Um, and it's like you do that enough in a way. Like the thoughts that you get. It seems like like you have a little bit of control. I mean, maybe it's nothing to necessarily like worry about because i mean even if you get some sort of unwholesome thought you know you can always replace it but in a way of like going back to these like core views and beliefs and it's like you were talking about the the failing that's similar to what this guy um, sheldon was talking about who wrote the freely determined of like sometimes like the the action you know it's like you you dork something up but yet after you have the ability to reflect on it. You have the ability then. So it, it's in a way like, yes, going forward to be less likely to dork it up in that same way, you know? So it's like, maybe you don't necessarily have like complete control. Like, yeah, you're going to like fail some things, but after you do with some honest reflection, you know, thinking about it, contemplating this and that, you can essentially get a better understanding of maybe what was going on and maybe it reshaped or, you know, it shaped your particular view and belief on something in a different way. And it, and it changes and maybe influences it going forward, you know, which is, which is kind of weird, but I think it's helpful from a forgiveness standpoint uh, of some of those, uh, you know, the, the failures, if you will, you know, it's yeah. not like we couldn't have, maybe we couldn't have done any different, but now we have the opportunity to learn, you know, whatever we can from it. The cool thing about failure is that whether you like it or not, you're signed up for that on a monthly subscription <laughs> and it's unlimited. It? <laughs> it's, it's, it costs, it costs your ego. <laughs> yeah right so if you have a bus pass you can get on that damn thing all day 
you can scan, get on bus number one, get dropped off, scan, get on bus number two, brings you back. You can do that all day. And you can actually do the same thing with failure. <laughs> it's like This is a thing that people don't really see when they see someone that's successful. It's like they don't see how many times that guy's failed, right? And and that's it's actually a beautiful thing is that, I mean, clearly there's catastrophic failure, <laughs> right? Yeah. There are mistakes that we can't really come back from. Uh, but generally speaking, if you're, if you're aiming up and you're trying towards a noble goal, man, you can fail today. You can fail tomorrow. You can, you can fail every single day of your life and, and still make progress and still live a meaningful life, you know, on that journey. And, and I mean, that's, that's pretty cool if you think about it. It's not, you know, you play video games sometimes that you, you die once and the game's over. Those games suck. Luckily, yeah. for the most part, life is not really like that. You know, you, you can start over, you can get back on the journey, you can pick yourself up wherever you are, keep going. Yeah. I wonder how, how much, you know, like words, success, failure, whatever it may be. Like, in a way, many of these things, I almost want to say it's like they're subjective. You know, it's like your particular failure that day that, you, you know, you're you're calling it that for someone else that could have been like the greatest success of, you know, whatever it may be like you, your your failure on the on the squat rack is my like PR 10 times over. You know what I mean? It's like it's. It, it's something I mean, I, I guess in a way like virtue Maybe it's not so subjective. I mean, there are like objective things of where we're, you know, we didn't necessarily embody the, uh, you know, the virtue of courage and that we, we could have done something different. So, but, but maybe like a lot of it is, and I, I think it's worth maybe discerning what's, what's subjective and what's actually objective. Yeah, certainly. And you're talking about things like worldly goals. Yeah, there's there's subjectivity there. But I think when you're talking about something like philosophy, I think the only success in life is living with love. Yeah? Yeah, cue the cue the cornflakes. <laughs> um but it, you know, if, you and I've spoken quite a bit, probably to an embarrassing degree about love. <laughs> but what what we've always gone back to is that love is this this desire this intention to to see everything flourish to see the people you care about flourish and and live happy lives to see your garden flourish to to see your children flourish in life uh you know to live in harmony like that's that desire and that willingness to engage in that process that that is what love is and so if you go out into the world if you go into your your work and into your, your relationships and your fundamental value system is i want to make this better i want to make everything here better i want to make the company flourish in an ethical way i want my husband my wife to to flourish to be happy to have meaning in their lives it's like that's really the only success 
That's the only success there is. And the worldly success, that'll come with it, probably, maybe not, but probably. But I think it's helpful to think about that because if you think about it in that regard, someone with a lot of money is not necessarily successful. Mm. And someone who has no money is not necessarily unsuccessful. I'll, I'll end with this because uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Ed Sheeran has a song. Uh, he lost he lost his mother, I think, when, when he was pretty young. Uh, so she died. And he wrote a song called Visiting Hours. And in the song, he's talking about how, you know, he wants to go up to heaven and see his mother from during visiting hours, like if, if only that was a thing. And, you know, he, tell, he, he talks about how he would ask her, he would tell her all about his problems that he's having and, and how he's worried about him being a failure in life, and, which is an interesting thing. You think about someone like Ed Sheeran, right? He's, he's afraid of a <laughs> failure even then. But he's, he's, he's saying how he's having this conversation. He's like, I'd ask her and tell her like, you know, I just, I'm so afraid of being a failure. And, and he, he knows what she would say in response to that. And her response is, well, as long as you're leading with love, it doesn't really matter. Right. And I, I think that's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's how we should all be thinking about success. Yeah, I, w- I was going to ask you, you've been doing this series of steps to success, um, if, if that's the the name of it. You know, do you think that's a, a theme that, that comes through this this series that you've been doing with some, some guests? 100%, man. Yeah. 100%. And they, you know, they wouldn't necessarily, they might not say it like that, but they would, they would say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm following the energy or... You know, I'm open to new opportunities and, but, but it's always like the people that are successful, man, they, they do everything out of, out of a state of love. And, 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 you know, when you're talking about it practically, you could think about it like construction, not like road construction, but though maybe it is road construction, but it's again, how do we make the world better? How do we move things forward and how do we move the people we care about and, and the world forward? And so when you're when you're looking at it from that lens, that's what that's what love is. It's like it's a, it's a construction project, man. It's like how can we make this thing better? And you think, well, what is hate? Hate is a destruction process. Hate is how can I make that person, this world, suffer? Right. So yeah, I would say absolutely, man. That's a theme that just runs right through the conversations I have regarding success. Yeah, that's awesome. The um, the thing of uh, leading with love, I don't know. It makes me think of of sometimes. You know how like you re- you reflect on whatever it may be. Like Seneca said, you know, when he was asked about progress towards wisdom, uh, being a better friend of myself. You know, it's like how do we know if we're doing that? Um, Brian Russell, who I know you've had on the on the podcast a couple of times. I, I recently connected with for an episode, and he um, he's got a book coming out, astonished by the word. And he was curious about kind of like what we've been talking about about like love, whatever it may be. And he read something from uh, Saint Augustine. I made a a note of it 
and uh, Augustine wrote, so anyone who thinks that he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot by his understanding build up this double love of God and neighbor has not yet succeeded in understanding them. And it, it like it seems like really like across wisdom traditions though, it's, and there's so many different synonyms and stuff like that, you know, like you were saying in, you know, in this series, not like they were maybe using that exact word, but it's, it's the general theme of it. It's that general construction project of, of love. Um, but it can be a difficult thing of, um, of reflecting on progress towards that. Like, am I becoming more loving? Cause like, sometimes if we're honest, sometimes we're not like, we're not like you can, um, you can get to a point or a particular, you know, season of where you're like a bit more narcissistic, a bit more selfish. Um, you know, I've definitely had, like those seasons, and it, it does seem like it's helpful to have some real clarity like that of like, you know, what is the the project? Like if, hey, the project is becoming more loving. Because then, you know, when you sit down to do some of these practices, whether it's journaling or whatever it may be, you know, you kind of need to know like what it's all about, in a way, it seems like. Yeah. That's well said, man. Uh, I think so. I think that that is the project. Are we becoming more loving? And I think you're right, because a lot of times, even even in, like, within a relationship, like, you know, you, there's a reason why people have marriage problems all the time. Like, I think it stems from from that, is that we're, like, are we completely on board with this project, right? Are we completely on board with this project? Do we really want to make this better? Or do we want more power? Do we want more labor in our house to clean the dishes? Do we want this, want that, and, and are using that that relationship for that? As opposed to, no, do we want this person to flourish? Do we want this relationship to flourish? Like that, that switching in mentality. And yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think this is something that uh, I need to go get a lot better at myself. <laughs> oh, man. I, yeah, I am. I'm speaking for my, for myself. Um, the, uh, and, and I mean, maybe that's like an important thing to honestly recognize that, um, there's a, I, I generally think in visuals for some reason and uh, like Seneca talks about like the wise person walks a single road you know and I can kind of visualize this road in my in my mind a bit and like even he says you know the wise person doesn't necessarily like take the same steps and I interpret it as you know they're going to make some detours like they're going to even though they have a a single road it's not as simple as like A to B, but sometimes I think like, you know, how quick can I notice when I veer off this particular road? 
um, so I can like gently bring myself back to the to the road and maybe understanding that you know there's not going to be a time where where I don't you know veer off the the road like that's okay all all good part of uh part of being human or something something like that you know but um can i recognize it before i'm like <laughs> on a totally another highway i'm like you know heading towards yeah. i'm in like a totally different city and zip code type of thing yeah and that's that's the importance of yeah you find your way up in canada uh, <laughs> that's that's the importance of having people around you that that love you you know they they're when they're when someone's committed to your flourishing they're committed to reminding you to stay on that path to to, to help guide you to get back to where you need to be and um yeah i think so i think you know, are we becoming more loving again to get back to that question? And, and, and part of that is, are we becoming more loving of ourselves? Are we fully committed to our flourishing? Yeah, that's good stuff, man. That sounds like a good spot to wrap it up. At least, uh, at least for me, let's wrap you? it up. Let's talk about some Substack premium. Paradoxically speaking, Substack, check it out. <laughs> 